Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms now wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning, good morning. It's the 7th of December, 2022. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Thank you so much for including me in your day. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What would be um, the indescribable gift of Christmas? Um, and what's the right response when you're given a gift? Maybe we'll pause there for a moment. Um, when you give a gift to someone else, you you probably have an expectation of how they're going to respond. And you probably expect that to be positive and you expect it to be personal. So what's the right response when you're given a gift? Gratitude expressed to the one who gives it? All right, so let's pause there and think about the real gift of Christmas. I mean, there are going to be lots of gifts exchanged. You probably are buying gifts. Um, you're giving gifts, you're receiving gifts, but what's the real gift of Christmas? Well, it's Jesus. And who gives us the gift of Jesus? God the Father. Um, And how do we respond to God for the indescribable gift of the Word made flesh to dwell among us, full of grace and truth, the one who atones for our sins by his sacrificial death on the cross, I mean, the, the very indescribable gift of salvation and reconciliation and peace with God. Like, how do we respond to God for the indescribable gift of Jesus? Well, first of all, we receive him and we believe in his name. We worship, we praise with thanksgiving, we respond in obedience. And yes, in the context of 2 Corinthians 9, we show our gratitude to God by passing along to others what we in turn have also received. First and foremost, Jesus. But we also give in tangible ways to alleviate the needs of others. So the believers in Corinth to whom the Apostle Paul first wrote these words that we receive in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The first recipients and readers of these words and the context uh, in which these words are spoken is, is the context of giving sacrificial, joyful giving. The people of Corinth, the Christians of Corinth, were living out their faith in Christ by giving sacrificially to others who were in greater need than themselves. And so those who are um, in Christ should be the most generous when it comes to giving. And that is our growing your faith verse of the day. Freely you have received, freely give. Let us be people who during this season give God gratitude and thanksgiving for his indescribable gift in Jesus Christ. A couple of things that uh, you need to know before you head out the door this morning as an agent of God's grace, as an ambassador of his kingdom amidst the kingdoms of this world. In Georgia, um, the 2022 election cycle is finally over. 
Senator Raphael Warnock has defeated Herschel Walker in the runoff election for the final seat in the U.S. Senate. That gives the Democrats a 51 to 49 um, uh, majority in the Senate. Former President Donald Trump's family business, the Trump Corporation, was convicted on Tuesday of criminal tax fraud. A New York jury found the Trump Organization engaged in an off-the-books compensation scheme to pay some of its executives in car leases, apartments, cash, paying for kids' education at private schools, those kinds of things. The jury found two Trump Organization corporate entities guilty of all criminal counts that they faced, including conspiracy, criminal tax fraud, and falsifying uh, business documents or business records. The two entities could face a total of more than $1.6 million in fines, which uh, is not a significant amount of money in in terms of the wealth of these uh, of this organization. So um, President Trump was not involved in the trial. He was not uh, he was not a part of this process. But prosecutors did tell jurors that the former president had signed off on bonus checks and memos that allowed top executives to avoid reporting taxable income uh, in these cases. So it's just something to be aware of and to know about that's happening in the culture today. Uh, And here would be the bottom line. Pay your taxes. Do what's right. Um, live in a life, live, live in a way that's worthy of the manner um, of Christ and, and the calling of his people, right? I mean, just, just do what's right. Pastor Daryl Crouch is going to join us next. Um, we, we like opening the word of God and seeing how we can live out the living word of God in these days. So that's up next on Mornings with Carmen. I've seen fire and I've seen rain. Well, if you are on the big uh, island of Hawaii, it's raining fire. There you go. Uh, If I haven't uh, brought you up to speed recently, the uh, Mauna Loa volcano continues to erupt. Um, It is spewing ash. Lava is creeping toward uh, a main Hawaiian highway. Um, And let's see, I think we already said this, but the, the last time the volcano erupted was 1984. So... Um, that's an update there. It's raining um, in other places, including the place where Daryl Crouch is this morning. Good morning, sir. Well, good morning. It sure is. It's been raining Re- for a day or two. So, yeah. Regular rain. Regular, just good old-fashioned regular rain. Yeah. Um, and 60, so, de- 60 degrees, so it's a little odd. So yeah. weird. Yeah, for those of you who are listening in places where there's snow on the ground, um, Daryl and I um, – uh-huh. had this this weather day yesterday where it went from being very very cool in the morning to raining all day and resulting in like 70 degrees at the end of the day and that's what we woke up to this morning it's like hot and muggy and rainy it's disgusting it's not winter at all and it's not very christmasy let me just get on record and say this is not very christmasy weather exactly right it's just not the way it should be but I'm sure if you live in florida this is the way you live all the time so. yeah and if you're and and if you're coming to us this morning from a place that's really bitterly cold then you know you're feeling like we should not be complaining about this unseasonably warm rainy day we're having 
Um, talk with us about some non-traditional Christmas passages. As we talk about the living Word of God, one of the things that I think excites me during this season are all these passages from the Old Testament that we get to bring forward into our New Testament conversations. So, I don't know, Let's maybe let's talk about the person of Daniel, how the wise men got so wise about, you know, why they should even be watching for a star that would proclaim Messiah. Um, take us, maybe take us a little bit into Daniel this morning. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think the, um, um, mo- most of my, mo- and I don't know if this is true for every modern Christian, but we, we do lack uh, context sometimes. And uh, in terms of, you know, what in the world we're doing and why uh, these things are important and how the dots connect, I guess, is one way uh, to talk about it. And so, uh, yeah, Daniel had a vision. Daniel, by the way, was an amazing public theologian, but um, he walked with God and heard from God and very uh, explicit, you know, very detailed kind of ways. And so uh, he, you know, he has a vision uh, and we, we read that in Daniel seven of the ancient of days, the son of man, this uh, Messiah who would come. And, um, and he, he, he says it out loud. I mean, we just, we can read it from the text uh, in Daniel seven is, I think where you're referring to what you're referring to. And, um, and suddenly one like the son of man there in verse 13 was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and the glory and a kingdom uh, so that those of every people, nation and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. This Ancient of days, the people, these wise men from the east uh, had heard these things and were watching for these things. And there is, um, and I think it's important that we're uh, transparent about this. There's some, there's a lot of mystery around those, those magi that came from the east. We, we know, we think we, we can conjecture a few things. We can put a few things together, but uh, these were, um, people who, uh, like many of our Old Testament um, heroes, uh, they were they were looking for the Messiah. They they were watchful, they were expectant, and uh, they looked. We would say toward the cross as we look back to the cross. But um, uh, God um, revealed Himself in miraculous ways, and what we would say is miraculous ways. But to be um, very um, um, uh, what's the, um, it's early. What's the word? Um, he, he was very intentional about revealing himself to these wise men, um, mm. through, um, um, the words of the prophet Daniel and, uh, the traditions and the teachings that kind of followed, uh, the time of Daniel so that folks continued to be expectant and followed the revelation that they were given. And, um, I think it's a good word for us today that God has given us his word and uh, we still walk by faith and we still trust him and we still um, uh, believe that uh, he is the Messiah and that he is the Redeemer. And then uh, in a similar way, we look for his second coming. It's interesting to me that um, six cities in the Middle East claim the tomb of Daniel, uh, maybe the most famous and the one that people point to most often is Susa in southern Iran. 
And I just think about, I mean, if, you know, if, 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 right, if, if Daniel, this noble Jewish youth who's taken from Jerusalem into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar II of Babylon and serves through a really critical period of history and has influence that is, is, it's really difficult to even express how significant the influence is of this one individual named Daniel so long ago. Um, and to imagine that these magi who are, um, you know, who are discussed in Matthew chapter two, um, these, these people who came from the East because they had been looking for the Jewish Messiah, they acknowledged him as King of the Jews. They knew to look for a star, um, and to follow it and then bow down and worship him and, and bring gifts and, and, and the Lord leading them in a dream to return by another route. Like there's so much going on here that's obviously supernatural and I think reveals God's sovereignty over, over time and place and space and people in ways that help me, um, help me, Daryl, um, maybe not feel so significant or insignificant, like, right? Like if I think about Daniel and, and what his parents endured and what they must have thought as their child was hauled off into captivity, I mean, there's no way they could possibly know how God intended to use him, um, not only in his days and amidst the people of his days and to preserve the people of the Jews, um, but but in the context of the unfolding redemptive narrative that God was planning over all of human history, like, I just... I just love the weaving together these um, these points and these sometimes obscure scriptures that seem obscure to us in the Old Testament and bring them forward in the light of the gospel. It's just it's it's so energizing and um, such a confirmation of God's goodness and sovereignty over all time. It it really is. It's fascinating. And at one level, it's incredibly fascinating. You've done a wonderful job you know, rolling that out and for us. And, but it's also, you know, it, it's very earthy. It's very mm-hmm. human. He was deported. He was, he was removed from his home and uh, along with many other exiles. And uh, they, they had to start over in a very, you know, you imagine when you move now, when we move, it's a lot of trips to Lowe's or Home Depot and Walmart. And there's a lot of upheaval in our lives, but uh, there's a lot of emotional uh, trauma that uh, these exiles were facing that um, most of us really, in mo- most of us can't uh, imagine. Yet he was a faithful, uh, we, we could even call him a faithful evangelist in a foreign land. He was, mm-hmm. he was faithful to the Lord when the Lord was obscure, uh, perhaps in some ways to him and to his people, and that there was all kinds of uncertainty. Yet he remained faithful and again, was an amazing public theologian whose whose faithfulness sowed seeds that would be that would come to fruit, uh, to come to fruition in the coming of the Messiah in the Christmas narrative with these men, as you've mentioned. And so, uh, I, I do think it's a reminder to us that although we are we we feel like we live in tumultuous times, and there's a lot of things tumultuous about it, the Lord is sovereign, and Jesus is the Ancient of Days. He is the one who rules over the hours and the the days and the years of our lives. And this season that we're in is uh, in the palm of his hand. And our faithfulness 
can sow in similar seeds that can bear fruit in coming generations who would look to the Messiah. Uh, his story, as you've illustrated and and um, noted, is just amazing and uh, something that we should all look to and, and aspire to. We're talking with uh, Pastor Daryl Crouch. We'll return to this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great Faith Radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every all right, yes, for those of you wondering, there's all kinds of research and writing out there about the Star of Bethlehem, the wise men or the magi, where they came from, who they were. Um, yes, that is a fun, um, a fun exploration during this time of year. We're talking with Pastor Daryl Crouch. We're talking about some maybe non-traditional Christmas passages that we read this time of year that give us an insight into who is this Christ who comes wrapped in human flesh and lying in a manger. Um, Daryl, uh, we've got all kinds of options we could turn to. Um, is there another passage this morning that you think, well, you know what, this is, this is one I'd like to highlight in the weeks leading up to Christmas. About those uh, wise men, a couple of interesting things. I think it's important we know they probably weren't there, you know, in Bethlehem at the um, at the manger scene. Although I'm for having them included in the manger scene uh, because it tells the story. So I'm not a, a curmudgeon about that. But it probably took them it took them a minute to get there. There's probably also more than three of them. We would think they yeah. did bring those three gifts. But anyway, that's always an interesting conversation. But um, I really, in terms of uh, scripture, no, I mean, like there might have been like there might have been hundreds. Like I oh, mean, yeah. this might have been there, like there a was... giant movement of people across a couple thousand yeah. miles of uh, of the Middle East. I mean, like I, yeah. Amazing. Uh, and again, that's a whole nother. Yeah, that's an amazing thing. But yeah, and traveling in that day was, I mean, they, there was, um, it, it was very involved. We can get in our car and, and drive a few hundred miles uh, without um, really a lot of planning now, but uh, not not so then. And so, yeah, it's just an amazing venture that they were on. And um, God's grace and providence over their lives, just unbelievable. But um, one of the passages that uh, we we don't always run to at Christmas, but I often seem to think about is Galatians chapter four, beginning in verse four. So when the time um, came to completion, uh, when when it came about, when the when the time was exactly right, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Um, when the fullness of time came, and uh, again, just a reminder to me and, and, a, and a ministry to me to know that the Lord is sovereign over time and that uh, Jesus did not um, come in a hurry and he wasn't late and God wasn't um, trying, it wasn't winging it and uh, hoping to bail us out some way that he had not expected. But in the, the fullness of time, uh, God sent his son. And so that Galatians 4 passage, um, it, anyway, it, it's always uh, personal to me. And the Lord uses that in my life uh, every Christmas season to remind me that um, Jesus came at just the right time. 
Yeah, and and the whole gospel is really unpacked in those in those two yeah. verses in Galatians four, four and five. Just a reminder um, to our listeners because we actually talked about that verse on Monday morning of this mm-hmm. week. But when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that He could adopt us as His very own children. What um what a wonderful wonderful reminder at Christmas uh, that God's the one who sends Jesus um, that He sent Him at just the right time, and that He sent Him for our salvation. What a gift! So good, so good. Gift, so good. There's some others. You know, you you uh, we had talked about John uh, chapter one. Um, this that, that um and again the John John the Baptist and uh, Jesus that that entire um relationship and um their their uh, elizabeth and mary and their relationship uh just so rich with again god's providence in their life and um but we look in that john chapter uh one passage um as uh, john is is um unpacking all that in verse nine the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world he was in the world and the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Uh, but to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become, again, children of God. This adoption theme, um, anyway, comes up throughout the Christmas narrative and throughout the um, the re- redemption narrative. But to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. Uh, mm-hmm. So rich. And such a reminder that that again, what Jesus did in coming was not just to show out and to make um, make Himself known. Although His glory is central uh, to all of His work, but He uh, He came near to invite us to come near to Him. Hmm. And uh, so good. He uh, He He came near to make us to give us a seat at His table and make Him uh, make us join heirs uh, with Him. And uh, to adopt us, to graft us in, um, and um, and he does that um, perfectly. And uh, this is the good news of the gospel. This is the reason we that, that we celebrate Christmas. That's the reason for the lights and the celebration and the gift giving. Um, to be reminded of the grace upon grace that we've been given. Amen. Amen. Daryl, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Lori is checking in from Hartford, Connecticut. She might be a little jealous of the muggy and too warm weather that we uh, are experiencing. And Patrice checking in this morning from Panama City Beach, Florida um, on the text line. She says, well, it's 80 degrees uh, today in Panama City Beach. And yes, that is too warm for this time of year. But have a blessed day. There you go. Hey, um, where where in the... Where in the world are you today? Where in the word are you? You can check in with me on the text line, 877-933-2484. Daryl, thank you so much for joining us. Merry Christmas. It's a joy. Merry Christmas. Yeah. We'll be right back. All right, a couple of uh, headlines here before we turn to our conversation with Mark Terman. Um, Germany has arrested dozens of people suspected of planning to overthrow the government there. Many of them had military training. They had formed a group sometime last year fueled by conspiracy theories. They believe their country is ruled by the so-called deep state. Um, Others allegedly involved arrested in Austria and Italy as well. Um, Back here in the United States of America, um, North Carolina, still trying to restore power 
to um, part of the state, a targeted strike on two major power substations in Monroe County, North Carolina, left some 50,000 people without electricity this week. Yesterday, some 30,000 people were still without power. Officials have declared a state of emergency there. Schools are closed. There is a curfew implemented. Um, and obviously, um, they're uh, trying to tend to the needs of people as temperatures dip uh, below uh, below freezing and then and then back above up, up above freezing. So the attackers who knew exactly where to direct their gunfire to disable the substations, according to authorities, um, remain unidentified. The officials there have stopped short of calling this event domestic terrorism, but they do say that attacks appear to be criminal and deliberate, and they're not the only ones. There uh, are apparently reports in California, um, Oregon, and Washington State as well of uh, targeted attacks using a range of weapons on power substations in an attempt to, according to the Department of Homeland Security, foment social disruption and violent anti-government criminal activity. So... There you go. That's going on. Um, I think be watchful. I think be um, prepared, live prepared. And uh, let's be the people of light, even when the power goes out. Like, right, let's be people who shine in the literal darkness, um, even as we shine in the spiritual darkness of these days. Mark Terman's going to join us next. We're going to actually spend some time talking about marriage, what it is, and, um, and all of the confusion related to it in the culture today. Indonesia um, unanimously passed legislation to criminalize sex outside of marriage. Indonesia is the world's largest Muslim-majority nation. Um, What does it look like uh, to legislate morality? Like, can you actually do that? How's that working here in the United States? That's up next. Here on Mornings with Carmen. Mark Charman is joining us now from the Denison Forum. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? Hope things are going great. Oh, yeah. Things are going great. I It is well with my soul, and I love this time of year. So, yeah. How about you? Awesome. Yeah, same here. Yeah, getting ready to be with the grandkids and all the fun shopping for them. And, yeah, it's great. My neighborhood's lit up with all kinds of lights. <laughs> I love that. Um, let's talk about what's posted at denisonforum.org. I was reading um, today's daily article about Indonesia, um, Indonesian lawmakers unanimously passing this legislation to criminalize sex outside of marriage. Um, you know, it's a it's the largest Muslim majority nation in the world. Um, but what's been our experience of trying to legislate morality? Like, does this work? Well, you know, I've heard that comment for years. You can't legislate morality. But the truth of it is we are legislating morality all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Dr. Dennison likes to remind me, you know, if you pass a seatbelt seat law, you have legislated morality. If you put up, you know, uh, stop lights and stop signs, you're legislating what people can choose to do. Um, those are all acts at some level of legislating behavior, They're, uh, therefore legislating morality. And so we do it at different levels, at different intensities, but we, we are always enforcing some kind of moral law. You know, when we say that it's wrong to hurt children or, you know, something as, as uh, traumatic as rape, when we say that those things are wrong and that there are punitive consequences for doing that, 
then we're legislating morality because we're trying to seek the common good. And that's where a lot of the challenge and disagreement comes in, what we understand to be the common good. Well, you know, I, we're commonly bad. Maybe that. I mean, yes, we are. We want to seek the common good, but we're but God is good, and we're commonly commonly ordinarily we're bad. Um, there's a lot of marriage um, threads to pull in our conversation today. Um, the House of Representatives here in the United States of America is expected to vote probably now uh, tomorrow or Friday. Um, the vote was delayed um, on this um, marriage act. I, I can't I, I can't bring myself to call it the Respect for Marriage Act because it does not feel like a Respect for Marriage Act to me. Um, apparently, they're now going to attach it to potential leverage for passing the defense bill, Defense Authorization Act. So that's been delayed, but it's very, very likely um, that it's going to pass. Um, talk with us about your your view on um, on this on this particular act of Congress that we expect to be codified into U.S. law. Yeah, it's really amazing to see how uh, opinions and legislation related to marriage have changed, particularly over the last 50 years. You know, it would have been common in the 70s that nobody would have ever thought we would be at the place that we are today, where we're talking about codifying and have had, and have had a Supreme Court decision in 2015 to legalize same-sex marriage. We We would have never dreamed that possible in our lifetime over the last 50 years. Uh, but where we are now as a, and we have to remember that we are a pluralistic society. We, we have built a country for the last 200 plus years on the idea that you don't have to believe the same as other people. And yet we're all going to still try to, uh, get along and to be neighbors and to live together in a peaceful way, even with very divergent beliefs. And that's really, part of the difference between the United States and countries like Indonesia. Uh, and sometimes we we feel like or we think as Christians that uh, we think in this in this kind of category, sometimes we think about that we're more like a, a, an Old Testament Israel and that we're living in a theodicy. America is not a theodicy. And we live in this pluralistic society where where we're going to try to create an environment where you don't have to believe exactly the same and live your life exactly the same. But that brings us to some really hard things like definitions of marriage. And I do believe words matter. And when you use the word marriage, what you mean by that matters, but we're not defining it at the same level from a, from a faith perspective and therefore in contrast with a civil perspective. And that's what we have to understand in this conversation, I think. Yes, Christians believe in a biblical definition, a covenant definition of marriage of one man with one woman for life. But we also have to recognize that there are other aspects of this in our culture and in this pluralistic environment. And yes, the government defines marriage clearly now, if this law passes, and it certainly looks like it's going to, that the government is giving us a different definition. And the question is, is can we make our understanding of, of marriage distinctive by not only the way we talk about it, the way we define it, but more than that, the way that we live out our marriages. And that's where the tension is in our society. It's, it's grievous to us because we would say, 
anything outside the definition of marriage is not God's best for others. And we want that best for them. But we also somewhat have to recognize and allow their right to not believe what we believe. And just because um, we say we believe it doesn't necessarily mean we are practice, practicing it in a way that really honors God. I think the confusion in our culture related to marriage and fidelity um, and what it looks like to keep your marriage bed sacred um, and what it looks like for me as a sister in Christ to be as concerned about um, the sanctity of your marriage bed as I am mine. Um, I think that those are conversations, Mark, that we're not having in a way that's penetrating. Um, the culture is really dominating on this particular issue. I'm looking here uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, Denison Forum, the the Daily um is it the daily? Uh, yeah, the daily article. My city is home to the most cheating spouses in America. Um, this was just a couple of days ago. And, you know, Jim's writing there um, about the Dallas Fort Worth area and Houston, Texas being some of the most unfaithful cities in America in terms of marital fidelity. And you're talking about cities that are really dominated by um, civic Christian influence. So what's going on there? Yeah, and this is one of those areas where we as Christians have to own this reality and and really stand up and speak to certain levels of our own hypocrisy. Uh, We say that we believe in the biblical definition of marriage, that, as I said, one man with one woman for life, and yet we see and have seen uh, in this same period of the last 50, 60, 70 years, incredible evidence that Christians can't live up to their own definition or to God's definition. And that's true about us in a lot of different ways. As you said, we are all commonly bad. We are all broken sinners. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't still hold to and seek that good uh, definition and and framework that God has given us. The book of Hebrews uh, says very explicitly what you were just mentioning, that the, that the marriage relationship, the marriage bed should be held in honor by everyone and should be considered sacred. And that that idea that God uh, presents to us in the Bible should always be held to, even in the recognition that none of us, whether we are Christian or not Christian, uh, ever live up to it the way we should. We know that we don't, and our only hope of even getting close is to surrender our life to Christ and to ask for his help every single day through the Holy Spirit, through his word, through the community of faith, that we would we would have God's help to live out our relationships, our, our covenant of marriage, knowing that none of us is going to do it perfectly. But Christians and Christians uh, writ large, you might say, need to own that we have a good bit of hypocrisy in this area, because while we may have avoided things like same-sex marriage, We've not kept our vows the way we should have. We, we have been too much uh, lenient when it comes to divorce and to infidelity. And we, in some ways in the church, have way too much shrugged our shoulders when it comes to that side of the conversation. Um, I'm looking at the infidelity index of the 200 major U.S. cities that's linked to at denisonforum.org. Um, and uh, I discovered that my city of Nashville is number five on the list. So that's bad. I mean, it like, is. 
Yes, it is. That is just bad. Hey, St. Louis, um, you're not off the hook either. St. Louis is number four. So uh, Texas cities take the top three positions, then St. Louis, Missouri, and then Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, those are some bad, terrible numbers. All right, I'm going to reflect on that for a moment. Mark and I are going to come back in just a moment. We're going to we're going to talk about um, ministry and ministry leadership. We're going to talk about forgiveness and humility. We're going to talk about the return of a pastor to the pulpit and the questions surrounding that in terms of timing. What does forgiveness look like in terms of how we forgive our pastors um, when they um, when they fail us and when they when they sin? We're going to talk about that next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. Continuing our conversation with Mark Turman from the Denison Forum. You can find what we're talking about today at DenisonForum.org. Mark, um, as I'm uh, as I'm looking at the stories rolling out about uh, Matt Chandler and his return to the pulpit, there is also this um, strangely complimentary conversation about um, the return um, into pastoral leadership of Johnny Hunt. Now, for people who are listening who don't know these names, tell us who these men are um, and and what these you know read us in on these storylines. Yeah, so both of these men. Um significantly different in age, but large figures in the Southern Baptist denomination, uh, which is uh, part of my legacy. That's that's the root of my faith and uh, have been a Southern Baptist pastor since I was, uh, you know, 25 years old. Uh, but both of these figures, I don't know them personally, but I certainly know them by reputation. I have followed their ministry lives and careers for decades, really, uh, Matt Chandler is in the community, not, you know, 30 minutes away from me where I live north of Dallas. And so they've been very prominent figures, uh, leading large churches and large ministries. Johnny Hunt was, uh, not so long ago, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention and then led one, one of our mission agencies. Uh, so these guys are very significant, have been very significant leaders, uh, in significant churches, uh, for a long time. And uh, their stories uh, may be parallel in some ways, but really don't. Their stories are very unique in terms of what's going on with them recently and uh, over the last decade or so in the case of, of Johnny Hunt. But it really raises a lot of questions. One of those questions being, uh, is there such a thing as permanent disqualification from areas of service and ministry? That's one of the things floating around in this conversation. We all believe in grace and mercy and redemption, certainly. We see evidence of that in the Bible. You know, there's a story of uh, where Peter, uh, in, the, in the book of Galatians, uh, he violates the principles of fellowship with the Gentiles. And the church has struggled, you know, are the Gentiles welcomed in or not? And 
Peter at one point says, oh, yes, I agree. They should be a part of the church in every way. And then there becomes this moment when he gets worried about some other people from the Jewish community, and he, re- he withdraws himself, and the Apostle Paul uh, feels compelled to confront him. And it says in the book of Galatians that Paul stood up to him face to face and challenged him about his behavior. And apparently they worked through that in a redemptive way, and Peter went on to ongoing ministry within the church. But that's that's one of the questions is, what does it mean when pastors fail? Because they do. And what is the best right pathway for them to be restored within and by the church? And, and, and are there situations where things are so grievous that they might be permanently disqualified from certain kinds of service at least? Those are some of the questions going on here. Um, how do you answer some of those? Like, you know, first of all, I think just talking with lay people about um, the the reality of what it feels like to be a sheep whose shepherd um, fails, has a moral failure of one variety or another. Um, I mean, that it's heartbreaking, it's hard, but at some level, we should expect our pastors to be human. Um, and we should, and they should expect us to be Christian in, in response. Like, can you just talk a little bit about those relationships? Yeah, certainly it is enormously disappointing to uh, a Christian when their pastor or someone that is in their leadership or has been uh, a mentor and a helper to them in their faith, enormously disappointing. But it also reminds us that, like you said, pastors are, first of all, people They are sinful and broken, just like uh, all of the rest of us. Uh, But at the same time, the Bible does say that uh, leaders and particularly pastors in this case should be exemplary. You know, we hear the Apostle Paul say, I think at least three different times in Scripture, follow me as I follow Mm. Christ. He always qualifies it that way. Look at my life, follow my life as an example of faith as it is in alignment with the Word of God. And I think that's one of the things we need to always remember. To a certain degree, I think it's right that we put pastors on a pedestal as people that we should see as exemplary and that we should emulate, but we have to do that with a sober-mindedness that they are still human and that they are not going to be perfect in every way and that we constantly look to their lives like we would with our own is it aligned with the Word of God, and is there a humility there? And so that's part of the tension that we're always going to live in uh, and and seek the best for not only our own faith, but also for our leaders. Pray for them, encourage them, but there also needs to be systems of accountability for everyone. Every pastor, every leader needs real levels of accountability that are clear and that are transparent, especially to those that they are leading. And there's a lot to this, but we, you know, in the church, uh, in my time, we really have walked away from meaningful levels of what it means to confess our sin to one another, to pray for one another, as James says, and to help restore each other. We've given up a lot of the idea of spiritual discipline and accountability with each other. Yeah, church discipline, I think, maybe is the historic language for this. Um, church discipline, you know, used to be kind of like the third leg of the stool in terms of, yes. you know, a functional 
body of believers. I think that as it has become um, easier and maybe more popular uh, or a practice of the culture anyway to shop around and find a church that fits you for where you are right now and where you feel most comfortable and where people are like you and you are liked um, I, I think that people just leave if, they, if there's any discipline um, that begins to be uh, applied. Uh, they just leave and they just go to another church. Obviously, when you're talking about a pastor, that's um, that's a, that's a more complicated um, conversation. But like we are guilty of it as sheep who just go to a different church instead of allowing ourselves to be um, brought under the authority of you know, whoever the governing body is of the church and and brought back into what would be recognized as, I don't know, righteous fellowship. I mean, I don't really know what the language is, but yes, this restoration that you're talking about. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And and I think God may, in some of these ways, be, he's trying to put the third leg of the stool back in, is what I mm. think he's trying to do. And because you're right, we do it as as members of churches. We just move down the road. You know, if somebody goes through uh, an unbiblical situation, particularly like we were talking about a minute ago in their marriage. They, you know, there's infidelity in their marriage. And and, uh, instead of staying in the community of faith and becoming accountable for that, they just, you know, pick up and go down the street to the next church. And there's just lots of problems with that. Unfortunately, pastors do something of the same thing. Mm. And uh, we're struggling as a Christian community, and I think this is not limited to the United States, we're struggling in the Christian community to learn afresh and anew what does it mean to to live and hold each other accountable in loving and humble ways, knowing that we are all broken, but we, we do have to hold each other accountable. And these stories illustrate that in different ways, similar ways, but also different ways, and that uh, we have to get better at this. We have to learn what it means to give our accountability to each other and then help each other to continue to walk passionately after Christ. All right, here's a challenge for everybody this week. Um, call up your pastor, make an appointment, go sit down and say, what does, uh, what does church discipline look like in our congregation? How, um, how, how does that work um, and, and how would it work in my life if I had a particular sin to confess? Like, can we just talk through that pragmatically? That might be a refreshing conversation for your pastor to have the opportunity to have. Mark, as always, um, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Um, obviously, I have run over the last break, for those of you who are keeping uh, track of the clock. Um, and so we're going to return with another hour of Mornings with Carmen here in just a moment. Bill English will be with us. And we're also going to talk about healing what's hidden. How do we um, allow God to heal us, heal us from the traumas that we endure? Um, maybe you have a hidden trauma in the past that you know you need to work through, but you don't know how. You want to reboot your recovery, but you don't know how. We're going to have a really encouraging conversation about the how related to that. Um, visit us at MyFaithRadio.com. We would love for you to share information with us about a family you know needs a little extra help this Christmas. Um, we are giving hope for Christmas. would love for you to participate with us in that. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.